Last week was a beautiful service where we got to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but I want to remind all of us that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday we gather to worship. We worship the crucified, the resurrected, and the ascended Lord, the Lord of the universe. And so while our teaching, uh, our instruction, our songs, and our prayers will sometimes change with the seasons, I would want that in the back of our minds, we are always calling out that anthem that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We are not a people without hope. We have a confident hope in the resurrection of life because of who Jesus is. So Easter Sunday, last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, was a place for us to say amen and amen, and it is something for us to continue to do as a church. We are starting a new sermon series. Uh, this series is called A Journey of Grace, and today is the introduction to that exploration, in the exploration of how God moves us along in our journey, a journey that is ever deeper into the joy of God ever deeper. This series is actually in connection with the global church of the Nazarene. And so the church of the Nazarene identified and recognized that there needed to be good new language for us to think about how we move through our lives with God all the way through to the end. And so, and the charge, this invitation internationally is for all of us to be, well, Christian. And I know it sounds obvious, but but, but Christian, when we boil it down, is that Christianity is all about following Jesus. It's, it's that simple, and yet we all know that it's not easy, that it's hard. It is simple, but it's hard. And at the very center of it is that Christianity means embarking on a life-consuming journey of discipleship, of getting up close and personal with Jesus. Do you believe that? Is that the way you think about faith, think about Christianity? Um, how many of you have heard the quote that religion is a crutch? I've heard that. Um, it's often attributed to the philosopher Karl Marx, right? A paraphrase of his critique that religion was a tool of social control, right? Used by the ruling class to oppress the working class. And that idea of religion as a crutch was often used to, you know, for people that had something against religion or religious ideas to suggest that belief in God or belief in a higher power is a sign of weakness or a lack of critical thinking. That's how some people think of Christianity. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I had the privilege of getting into some really, really great, honest conversations with youth and young adults. Um, and one friend turned to me, a, a young adult, and he said, I can understand why my brother <laughs> and other hurting people turn to church, but I don't need it. Is, is faith in Jesus... And then don't you think it would have been true for you, like, that you would have believed it to be real? Aren't you just a Christian because you were born into it, Trent? And it was a valid question. And... I remember thinking about how to answer, and I, I answered something like this. Well, 
caring hearts. And then I would have wanted to add on to that that some people are compelled by it through the life of the church, through his people. That they see something in the, the lives of someone else, someone that they know who follows Jesus, who has this deep, rich, beautiful life of faith, and they want to have it. That they see that this life, that when they, that they've embraced faith in God or Jesus or however they might see it, that would be kind of how I'd want them to picture it, that they are drawn to the life of the people in the church, that they are drawn to Christians, just purely based on the evidence of transformed lives. And then I would add, I hope to live that kind of life. I hope to live a life that is faith-filled, that is compelling enough to inspire people to ask the question, so what's, what's your deal? What is it about this God that you trust? Tell me more. This is the great invitation for us that we are going to explore over the next six weeks. How does God take us from where we are and move us forward into greater and greater joy, into greater love, into greater faith, into greater purpose, into greater meaning? How does God find us, guide us, and then transform us? How do we become a compelling people whose lives attract others to Jesus? I like how Jeff Stark, a professor at Olivet Nazarene University, uh, puts it. He says this, The Christian faith is not a panic button. The Christian faith is not a family inheritance. The Christian faith is not a transaction that purchases a ticket to a heavenly destination. The Christian faith is an invitation to take up stride behind the one whose life is so utterly compelling that we find ourselves caught up in the journey even before we realize its significance. This is the journey of grace. It is the journey of following the compelling life of Jesus. And we see this play out in the gospel accounts. We see this picture of Jesus. He was a traveling man. He was a man that was always on the move. He was always on the, on the go. He, one day he'd be in the crowd. Next he'd somehow be finding his way through the crowd and people would be looking for him. One day he's preaching and gathering a crowd. Another time he's now moved on to the next village. And as he's in motion, finding himself in all sorts of interesting circumstances, interesting situations, places that other people might not even have wanted to go, that along the way, he develops a crowd, right? He develops stalkers, people that just want to catch a look or just see what's going on. They're interested. They are intrigued by him. As Jesus, this man on a mission, has journeyed, he's got people that are following him, seeking after him, trying to figure out, you know, and many are astounded by him. Some are offended by him. But regardless of their motivation, you can't stay away from him. His presence was and is compelling. And Jesus is compelling for all sorts of different reasons. We can see that throughout his entire story and his life. But one of the things that rings true both then and now is that he's compelling because of God's grace. That 
people see in Jesus this captivating favor and faithfulness of God that they saw in the life, the very concrete life of Jesus, the grace of God. It wasn't abstract. It wasn't an idea. It's a life. And grace shows up in the life of Jesus and then extends the invitation for us to join. John chapter 1, what we heard read earlier, it's this beautiful, simple picture of the initial invitation of a couple of disciples. John the Baptist was hanging out with some of his students. And then when Jesus walks by, John, without hesitation, what does he do? He declares, look, the Lamb of God. How do you picture this situation? I try to use my imagination whenever scripture is involved, particularly the stories of Jesus, putting yourself in the situation, trying to imagine what's going on. So we have John's students. They've been listening to John, hearing him, and then all of a sudden John's saying, look, the Lamb of God. And they're like, should, should we leave you? Like, should we follow him? And they're like, they look at each other. They look at John. They're not sure. John is like, yeah, gives him a thumbs up. I don't know what John would have done, but I'm picturing he gave permission for them to go. So they get up and they race off. And I don't know what kind of awkwardness that they were up to, but I just picture them awkwardly following behind Jesus, whispering to each other, being like, hey, what, 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 should we say something? What should we do? And then as they're walking, Jesus I think his response is completely natural. Like, just imagine there's this, like, pack of people following. He turns around, what do you want? <laughs> Maybe he doesn't say it with that kind of attitude, but he could have, like, what, what do you want? And they, these guys answer. It kind of reminds me of, like, children at a park. Where are you staying? What? Why would they ask that? Where are you staying? They wouldn't ask. They're not thinking, you know, well, we've heard about you. Tell us more. Or, well, we just heard that you're the Lamb of God. Can you explain that? No. Where are you staying? Um, and then Jesus offers, offers a simple answer, one that I would suggest we don't answer when someone asks us this at the park. He just says, come, you will see. And they follow him. They join in. Come, and see the journey of the journey of grace the journey of discipleship it starts with just come and see if we jump ahead further into john 4 we have this beautiful story right of jesus meeting the samaritan woman this woman at the well she is uh not really very popular she is unliked um, and jesus makes time for her and we know this. He spends time talking with her around the well. And as they have this conversation, her life is dramatically transformed. And she runs back into town, willing to talk to the people that have like pushed her away and have no interest in her life. And what does she say? Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Come, and see. It's a simple invitation. It's open to everyone, and Jesus extends that invitation to all. Come and see. As a child and as an adult, um, I really like those sample booths that are at, like, Costco. <laughs> um, when I was younger, though, I, I would be really awkward around them, 
because I felt obligated to like respond like they're giving me something free so I should say something back so I would come up and I'd be like like awkwardly so where where would I buy these and they're like they're right here oh okay they taste really good um thank you and then sometimes I'd even like grab the box and walk away and then like just drop it off on a shelf somewhere else You're laughing because you understand, right? Okay, good. (laughs) But later on in life, you know, you become a little bit more confident and you realize they don't care. (laughs) It's their job to hand out food, to just allow it to be a part of the process. So now I just grab, smile, go, say thank you. Um, The come and see feels a bit like that. You and I and the disciples are not forced into anything. If we want to just sample a bit of the life of faith, dip your toe into it, that is great. And for some of you today, that is exactly where you're at. That's exactly where you're at in this journey. And I want you to know that there's no strings attached. Come, discover, watch, learn, be curious, get invested in the community, enjoy the space. These moments, hang out with us for a while. Get to know us. Get to know Jesus through scripture and his community. Come and see. And let Jesus be the one who turns that curiosity slowly and surely. I as a Christian and many of us know that come and see naturally progresses to follow me. For those first disciples, when Jesus made that invitation, come and see, it very quickly for them moved into follow me. For some of you, that's a process that's been taking four years, and it might take a few more years, where you're still in that curiosity phase. You're still not quite sure about this faith, but Jesus will, he can't help it, eventually invite you deeper in to say, follow me. Jesus understands that no person follows him long without being confronted by the need to make serious decisions. Following Jesus isn't an extended spectator sport. It might be for a while, but it never ends there. And this is when things get real in the journey of faith. When we think about the long trajectory, that this, there is a grace of invitation and a grace of welcome. But then there's also a cost, right? That we come to face to face with these challenges in our lives, that there are things that are in the way of us following. We come to recognize that we've been toting around quite a bit of luggage, um, that we are filled up with idols and allegiances to other things and other peoples and other places, and this, we recognize, can't stay. We begin to realize that we have to dump some of that stuff off on the side of the road, and that is another way of thinking about repentance. Leaving behind those things and continuing to follow Jesus. Following after him. I love that there's a grace in this even still. It's a grace that's anticipating transformation. There's a cost and it's hard, but there's transformation. Um, In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian and eventual martyr under the Nazi regime, Um, said this, discipleship can tolerate no conditions. 
which might come between Jesus and our obedience to him. The call to follow is a call to abandon authorship of our own story. Um, Stark goes on to say, grace calls us to leave behind life as we've known it for life as God intended it. Following Jesus into this journey of grace is simultaneously free and open. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't fight for it. You can't make it happen in your life. It is a gift, and it is a gift given freely. But it, it also has cost, and it will require courage. Um, what started as a compelling invitation for the disciples moves to this life-upending call to follow him, but it doesn't end there. It leads us to this exciting promise that we who follow Jesus have been given this promise that we, the longer we hang out with Jesus, our lives will be changed. You hang out with Jesus, your life will be changed. It will be transformed. After John, or after, in John, after Andrew spends time with Jesus, he then is convinced, runs off to find his brother, tells his brother about the story, and then what does Jesus do when he meets Simon? It's one of those great moments that many of us have heard and seen in the story. Jesus looks at him and he says, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, Peter. So back in the passage, we see that soon after, after Jesus' invitation to come and see, Jesus also has identified Simon, and he's given him a new name. Um, now, many of us, we don't think of like taking on new names in a literal fashion. That's not really something we do in our context and in our culture. But what Jesus is doing in that moment is he is seeing him, identifying a future within him, and calling him out, not just following him, but giving him a new identity. When we start to follow Jesus, we start picking up hints and, and clues of the kind of plan that he has for our lives. He starts to stir in us a call, um, and it starts to change and morph and shift. As we walk with Jesus, we find ourselves seeing our own lives differently and being drawn to it. I can picture it being like, you are Trent, <laughs> son of Glenn. Now, you will be, right? There is this invitation. When we spend time with Jesus, he begins calling us to live out our new identity. And when we spend time with Jesus, it is transformative. Those who are left out, the left outs are brought in. Those who are broken, they are mended. The sinful are forgiven, they, and they're called to leave their sin behind. Those on the margins are brought to the center. Those forgotten and isolated, they are remembered and given community. Those adrift on the waters of meaninglessness, they're given a sense of purpose. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus declares, you will be, you will be different, you will be changed, you will be mine. And this is beautiful and good through the journey of faith, the journey of grace that God continues to move us through. 
come and see, follow me, you will be, yes, there's some rhyming there happening. It helps. It's a bit of a memory tool, I suppose. Um, it's often been said, I think many of us have heard this, and it's, it's powerful and true, that Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are. Right? He loves you enough to meet you right where you're at. But he also loves us too much to leave us there. Discipleship never stops. You don't graduate from discipleship school. You walk with Jesus now, and then you walk with him into the kingdom to come. He will never stop building into your life a life that looks more and more like his. It truly is embarking on a life-consuming journey. And along the way, we, like Jesus, become opportunities for people to see the grace of God in our lives. We become like Jesus as sent ones, people on mission, people that are invited to go and do. This is the journey of grace that we've all been invited to. This is what we're going to be exploring over the next six weeks of how does this move? What is God up to? How does this take shape in our life? What's our responsibility and what is God doing with his grace and his mercy? Um, one, David, Dave, uh, Dr. David Busick, um, the elected general superintendent, one of them in our Church of the, of the Nazarene. So he's one of like the big wigs that we elected for a season because of the work he's done as a pastor and as an instructor, as a professor. We felt, yeah, this is a great man for us to take direction from for a season. Um, he said this in his book, Way, Truth, Life, Discipleship as a Journey of Grace. He summarizes it this way. The life of discipleship is a journey of grace. It begins with grace, is empowered by grace, and is infused with grace from start to finish. There is no true discipleship unless we follow and obey the way of Jesus. The grace of God can be received as a free gift, but it cannot remain apart from the demands of discipleship. And if that wasn't enough for us, I'll finish with Bonhoeffer. With an abstract idea, it is possible to enter into relation of a formal knowledge, right? With an abstract idea, it is possible to enter into a relation of formal knowledge, to become enthusiastic about it, and perhaps even to put it into practice. But it can never be followed in personal obedience. Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Whatever stage of life you are in, there is an invitation extended to you. And Jesus invites us through these simple words of, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whether you are just at the very beginning and it's just an invitation, come and see. Come, see, and grow, and learn. And then the follow me moves through it. And then after follow me, you will be, 
God will transform you. He will call you into greater and greater purpose. And he will give you more and more satisfaction in following after him. With some challenge. And out of all of that, we are sent ones. On mission to make a difference. To shine brightly for our king. In full trust in his grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we in moments from now, we're going to come to your table. We're going to come to your table and be reminded of the invitation. Reminded of the invitation that because of your death, your sacrifice, your obedience to the Father, that we get to have life and have it to the full. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. Thank you for paying the price. Lord Jesus, I just, I ask that you would stir the hearts of those who have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, to follow you. Lord, may in this coming week or in this moment right now or as we sing here in a moment, that you would call out to them, that you would compel them, that they would recognize that it's not about how they were grown up or the faith that they were brought into or because of crisis, but because you are worth it, you are compelling. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, as well as those who are going to help assist with communion. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he took the cup. And now we as Christians, we celebrate and we recognize that God is at work in these elements that when we come and when we take the bread and when we take the cup we are acknowledging his grace that is available in this world and in our lives uh, the apostle paul says these words in corinthians for i receive from the lord what i also pass to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We understand this table to be an open table. What that means is if you have made a commitment to following Jesus, if you have turned from your sin and you desire to grow in your life of faith, this table is open for you. If right now you are sensing God's call to say yes to him and follow him, you've been in come and see for a while and now you know it's time to follow, may this be your first act of obedience to him to come and partake with repentance and a desire to turn your life over to Jesus. Let me pray for these elements and then you can stand and rise and make your way to those that are in the front here, going back to your seat and then we will eat together. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the bread and the cup. I thank you that we get to participate in this often and that we can know that as we hold these elements in our hands that you are speaking grace and life into us. Lord, may we not take the cup and the bread with bitterness in our hearts 
and, and envy and anger and other sin. May we confess that to you and may we come to this table free and able to receive without, without guilt because of our trust in you. May we all do that together, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, would you come forward? Thank you.